This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Tom and Brandy broadcasting live from Abu Dhabi Finance Week this morning. And what a morning it has been. We have spoken to a man who's just given away nearly $3 million. That would be Kareem Al-Sarafi, managing partner Modus Capital, although he would probably say that he had invested it. And he's got more to go. We've been speaking about moving mediation to the metaverse with Linda Fitzalan, chief executive of ADGM Courts, and talking about whether five hotels could work in Saudi Arabia. Kabir Mulchandani, the chairman and founder of Five Holdings, thinks so. That coming up on the podcast this morning as well. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Great to have you with us here from ADFW, the Abu Dhabi Finance Week 2023, the second version. Uh, it's Abu Dhabi Finance Week 2.0, back again, and we will have more for you. Uh, in fact, stay tuned for a couple of the highlights of some of the big interviews we've done this morning, but more coming your way of the course of the next three mornings as well. You've been talking to Katija Hack. What did you ask Mrs. Hack? Ah, what did we ask Katija Hack this morning? What didn't we ask Katija Hack this morning? Uh, COP, obviously. What will be the focus finance-wise at the Climate Summit? COP28 will feature the first global stock take, which will provide a comprehensive assessment of progress on reducing emissions since the Paris Agreement in 2015. The discussions will include measures on bridging the gaps in progress. There are a few key goals for this COP28. The first and most important is fast-tracking the uh, energy transition um, in order to be able to halve emissions by the end of the decade. Um, The second is addressing climate finance to enable the significant investment that will need to take place in order to achieve that goal of halving carbon carbon emissions by the end of the decade. And then the third um, difference, perhaps, with this COP is that it will be the most inclusive so far, bringing in the high emissions sectors and also private sector oil and gas companies, um, making them part of the discussion, part of the negotiations and part of the plan forward. Uh, so those are the thoughts of Katijak of Emirates MBD. In fact, COP was part of the conversation you were having uh, with Linda Fitzalan as well. Yeah, and certainly the transition is going to be a big focus down at Abu Dhabi Finance Week this week. Linda Fitzalan is the boss of ADGM Courts. We were asking her, with more people raising money through sustainable finance, green bonds, etc., etc., uh, more companies publishing their ESG goals, does it mean more climate disputes? We already have climate disputes, perhaps not in the region, Brandy, but across the world. The Sabin Climate Institute has told us that 2022-23, there were close to 2,500 climate disputes. It is steady, but you can see that there are changes in terms of government reactions to things and also corporate actors. So we are. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Climate change is with us. Um, And there are a lot of people who, quite rightly, are concerned about where we are going with it. So that is to come. That is definitely down the pipeline. So how do you prepare? as a court system for something like that? We don't have to do a lot to prepare for it in terms of the way we deal with the clients, principally because we're already digital. So from across the world, if we are seeing disputes coming from all over, 
they are interacting with us on an eCords platform in any event. But what we are going to continue to look at is ways in which those disputes can be resolved. So not necessarily through the court system, uh, going all the way to a judgment, but for example, a, you know, part of the big announcement we, that we have this week is mediation, facilitated settlement between parties. Linda Fitzalan there, the Chief Executive of the ADGM Court, speaking to us live on day one of the Abu Dhabi Finance Week, ADFW. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Right, time for us to get more from the floor, as it were. Not so much a floor, it's more of a landscape out there. Brandy Scott is out and about. Yeah, and I tell you what, it is getting busy. Fingers crossed we get through the next seven-minute interview without what just happened, which is someone walking in front of the camera. Let's count them and see how many we get. We've got a couple of security guards on the side, but it just shows you that people are starting to stream in, number two, uh, to Abu Dhabi Finance Week this morning. And I'm talking money now uh, with a company that has just deployed $2.8 million to regional startups. They are Modus Capital. Um, I have Kareem Al-Sarafi, the managing partner, with me now. Kareem, it's lovely to be with you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So talk to me first about why now for this new batch of funding. People have been talking to us for six months about a funding winter. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your timing. Sure, so uh, I think actually the timing is really ideal because one, whenever you have these kind of down cycles in venture, what you end up, what you end up with is you end up with the most resilient and most opportune companies and opportunities that are, that are out there. And this is really what we focus on. And you know, one of the main reasons why you know, there is a down cycle and one of the, I said, side effects of the down cycle is there aren't really enough investable companies that you see because a lot of, uh, you know, maybe for lack of a better term, uh, tourism entrepreneurs, you know, uh, the companies come, they're here, they do okay, but then when the times get tough, you know, they shut down and that really leaves investors uh, really yearning for, for good deal flow. Okay, so you've found eight regional startups that you've deployed this capital into. They're really wide ranging. We've got a beauty subscription company, Jamali Box. We've got online procurement people, Oscar. There's a couple of fintechs and medtechs as well. What's the criteria been? So for us, uh, you know, we think that the opportunities in the region uh, are so broad that for us to really focus on a specific sector, a specific industry, we're going to miss out on opportunity. So really for us, the premise is amazing founders and problems that are that are painful enough to solve that are worth building a company for. And if you bring those two together with our model, we think that we can create some very, very valuable companies. What stage are you putting this money in at? So this is a very early stage. It can be a founder that either is just with an idea, but they're a subject matter expert, but they've never built a company before, or it can be a product that's already in the market. Um, you know, it has a little bit of traction, but what they need is a little bit of expertise and a little bit of guidance to kind of boost and take them to the next level. So I would say anything pre-Series A. Okay, and you're putting them through a nine-month program as well. It's not just capital, it's operational help as well. What's involved with that? Sure, so it's really custom and tailored, and this is one of the, one of the unique things about our program is that for us, uh, you know, a company, no two companies need the same exact thing. You know? And then what we're able to do is we're able to look at the founding team and the, and, and the founders and identify where are the areas where they could use some support, so essentially the mm -hmm. skills gaps, and then we customize and tailor the operational uh, support for that. It can be anything from business and strategy, marketing, technology development, uh, product design, et cetera. What have they needed help with? Because some of your guys have already finished, some are halfway through it. Mm -hmm. 
Where have you seen the, the biggest need for a helping hand? The biggest need, which is, I think is also indicative of the a nascent or emerging innovation ecosystem, is predominantly on product and looking at how to develop a product the way that the consumers really need to be able to leverage that product. Mm -hmm. And then second is the marketing, right? A company is uh, your product and your ability to sell your product. Those are really the core foundational elements. So these are the two areas that we find reoccurring with most companies needing support in. Right, so you've deployed nearly three million. How much firepower do you still have? We have a little bit more. Um, we have a, another funding announcement that's coming very, very soon, which will increase the scope and increase the program and our ability. Um, so uh, we'd love to share a little bit more about that a little bit later. Is it, have you already identified the people who will benefit from that? Not yet, the admissions is a rolling admissions. We have a couple of earlier, earlier companies at this phase, but um, we haven't identified them all, no. Okay, so anyone who's listening to that and thinking, opportunity, what do they need to do? Um, they just need to come to our website uh, and look and really familiarize themselves with our venture building model uh, and then just apply. The application is right on our website and um, we can get back to them uh, very shortly. And where does your capital come from? So our capital is both from the region but internationally as well, uh, the US, Europe and MENA region. Is One of the things that we saw in the last week or so with OpenAI was a big investor getting blindsided and it's brought to the forefront the need for visibility yep. into the company you're investing into and basically some some sway, some waster if you like, a yeah. seat on the board. Yep. Will that change what companies want when they're investing, what funds and, and, and venture platforms like yourself want? I think so. I mean, I think good governance and a well-balanced governance structure is really, really critical. But even more so, I think for the founders and for the investors, really Take the selection of the companies you want to invest in or the investors that you want to bring in and make sure you guys are aligned from the very, very beginning. I mean, I know the dynamics change as a company grows, but if you put in, you know that, that saying, uh, measure twice and cut once. Mm -hmm. So with investors or with the startup companies, please do that and it'll help kind of curtail as much as possible the, the uh, result as like we've been seeing in, in the headlines lately. So what are you asking for? In response for your cash and expertise, what are you asking companies for? So what we do is we, we get equity and we share that with our investors. Um, again, because the scope of each company is different, some companies may get $250,000 in funding, some may get $450,000 mm -hmm. in funding. It's really dependent on the scope and the stage of the company where they are. We get equity in exchange for that. Uh, we're averaging somewhere between 12 and 15% of a company. How much of a say do you get in how they run and the decisions they make? So, so um, the company is their company. Uh, you know, what we do is we see ourselves more as advisors. Uh, we usually traditionally don't take board seats at this early of a stage because we know that the, it'll be prohibitive to the company having a more strategic, more bigger investor later on. Um, but for us, again, when we look at founders and kind of bringing them into the program, it's one of the key things that we look at. You know, do they have the ability to take feedback, uh, understand, pivot, and have kind of an open mind? Because this is what really creates a good working relationship. So if we identify these things in the very beginning, the working relationship is usually very good, and even in just a strategic advice type of role, you know, we, we get to, we work very, very well with the companies. We've spoken um, to some, I was about to say unlikely, and that's not fair, um, but a far wider range of companies, I think, than we ever have before about the potential of going public. This morning we've spoken to Five Holdings, the, the Five Hotel guys. Last week we spoke to Gym Nation, mm -hmm. um, who have just done a, a management equity buyback. Are you looking at the IPO route 
for exits, and I know we're talking long term, but for any of these companies that you're uh, investing in, is that one of the discussions you're having? Uh, absolutely, but I think it's a little bit early. Look, for us, the number of companies that we would be investing in throughout our funds as a byproduct, we, the law of averages says that we have to have a company IPO. But for us, we think that we can build companies that, that solve problems that can be very good acquisition opportunities for family offices, conglomerates, uh, and corporates because, again, these types of organizations have a big digitization push, and for us, we can build a company that supports their, their core business uh, and, and create a, a liquidity opportunity. I've been speaking to Kareem Al Sarafi, managing partner at Modus Capital. And as you can see, uh, if you are watching us on Dubai One Television, it is starting to get underway down here at Abu Dhabi Finance Week. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Broadcasting live from Abu Dhabi Finance Week, Brandy is out and about. I am indeed down here on day one, still some of the finishing touches uh, being put onto the landscape here. I am joined by Linda Fitzallen, Chief Executive of ADGM Courts, to have a look at what some of the big tech stories that we've been covering recently, plus a small climate change summit that will be happening uh, down the road from here mean for the financial court system. Linda, annually, lovely to see you again. Lovely to see you, Brandy. Thanks for having me back. Well, it was exactly a year since we last spoke and so much has changed. Let's actually, though, start with the climate focus that will be here at Abu Dhabi Finance Week this year. A lot of promises being made by companies when it comes uh, to their net zero pledges. A lot of companies looking to raise money. We're going to speak to one in about 15 minutes with green bonds and other sustainable financing. Does that mean we're going to start getting climate disputes? We already have climate disputes, perhaps not in the region, Brandy, but across the world. The Sabin Climate Institute has told us that 2022-23, there were close to 2,500 climate disputes. It is steady, but you can see that there are changes in terms of government reactions to things and also corporate actors. So we are. It's, there's no doubt about it. Uh, climate change is with us. Um, and there are a lot of people who, quite rightly, are concerned about where we are going with it. So that is to come. That is definitely down the pipeline. So what do you as a court system here in ADGM do to prepare for that? We don't have to do a lot to prepare for it in terms of the way we deal with the clients, principally because we're already digital. So from across the world, if we are seeing disputes coming from all over, they are interacting with us on an eCords platform in any event. But what we are going to continue to look at is ways in which those disputes can be resolved. So not necessarily through the court system, uh, going all the way to a judgment, but for example, a, you know, part of the big announcement we, that we have this week is mediation, facilitated settlement between parties. Okay, so does that mean, and we will get into what you're doing with mediation, uh, which is very high tech, in just a moment, but does that mean that you need to train special mediators to understand some of those issues? We do, actually. I think everybody is now skilling up and looking at what these climate disputes have, particularly in terms of the various actors involved. So this, this is not a uh, unusual expression, but not a normal dispute. There are so many stakeholders involved that uh, you, there does need to be managed from experts, including financial, financial impact of climate, social uh, impact. So yeah, we are skilling up mediators and judges too. They are looking at how these disputes are coming in in fairly creative ways. 
Okay, well, let's have a look at your big mediation announcement. Mediation in the metaverse. Why and how are you doing that? We love this. Brandy, totally love this. Uh, Why are we doing this? Is because it's sustainable. What is it that's sustainable about it? It is parties who are in a digital twin of our arbitration centre are coming into that arbitration centre via the metaverse. They need not leave their office, their sofa, their car, wherever they are, they literally use this to come in on in the and, and for their mediation. So they are more immersed in the, in this discussion rather than you see on pains on a Zoom call or on a Teams call. Which was going to be my question. I mean, the metaverse, uh, rightly or wrongly, a lot of people see it as a place that people invested a lot of money uh, three or four years ago. Hasn't always paid off. A lot of people become less metaverse-focused as a result. Why are you focused on it now? Because it's purpose-built for these type of complex disputes. It's purpose-built for connecting the world, uh, but in an immersive way. So we, we think, and nobody has done this in dispute resolution, and we see we are leading in terms of unique technological solutions to try to Uh, remove the traditional side of dispute resolution. Um, So, yeah, we think, we just think it's compelling because of the nature of what mediation is about. Um, And more to come on it from And why, you started to say, but tell me more about why it's better than just popping on a Zoom or a Teams call. Because you are coming into a digital twin, into the arbitration centre. So up here in the arbitration, you, you feel like you are sitting in that arbitration centre. And we've done a lot. So it's not avatars. Okay. So it's you. So it, you, it, it is as realistic as you can possibly get it. Uh, and you, do, you are in that room. You are not looking at a screen. You are literally in that room. Well, speaking of people in the room, uh, if we look at the Q3 results for the ADGM as a whole, you've got a rise of about a third in businesses, roughly a quarter in the number of people who are in your borders, in your jurisdiction. Do more companies and people mean more disputes? Um, I guess in a simplistic way, possibly, if I can say that, um, only because the demographic has widened um, and it's, it's a slightly different demographic for us. But um, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean an avalanche. Um, the, the area, the new area is stable as ADGM is. So, you know, there are no systemic issues from which we would see disputes arising. So, no, it's steady, steady as it goes. What kind of percentage tick up then is steady for you? What do you see and what would, what would be normal? Oh, uh, hard to put a percentage on it. I wouldn't see much more than 10, 15% at best, and, and nothing that's going to cause the, the court to in any way sort of try to manage our gargantuan caseload. So we don't see it as, as monumental in that respect. Yeah. What are you seeing in terms of the amount of disputes that don't make it to court? Again, we've, we've spoken about mediation. Mm. Um, what is the KPIs that you have to almost get them settled before they get in front of a judge? So roughly 10% finally go through to a decision of a judge. So it's as, it's, you know, it's as minimal as that. People want to resolve their disputes before getting a decision maker to get involved. They want to be in control of the destiny of where they're going with that dispute and to retain the relationships. Once you go through to a decision from a judge or, a, or an arbitrator, you have a decision imposed and you've got a broken business relationship. It, it, it never gets back that way. So people 
want to resolve them amicably or come away at least with something that they can live with, our Quarternext Mediation Scheme has uh, an 80% success rate on settlement. So that is 80% of the cases that are referred to them by judges are settled by those mediators. Now that that's... You know, they are fairly uh, staggering statistics in terms of parties walk away having resolved the disputes and dictated how they want to uh, to move to move away from what's become you know time wasting and to a certain extent and incredibly costly. Yeah, and in fact, my last thirty seconds. What does the mediation in the metaverse do to the costs of settling a dispute? Drastically reduce them. Uh, Nobody's leaving anywhere. Nobody's either getting on a plane. Nobody's sending paper across the world. We deal with it electronically beforehand. It, it's you know it, it it's as um, incredibly uh, efficient as you could possibly get it, and a reduction and coming back sustainable. That right. that is where we're going with dispute resolution. Love a guest who rolls back to the first question. Linda Fitzallen, do my job for me. Chief Executive Officer of AGGM Courts. Really lovely to see you again. And you too. Thank you, Brandy. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiI1038.com. We are talking finance options with five holdings, uh, the people behind one of Dubai's best-known hotel chains. They've gone the green bond route and they're looking towards an IPO. We are very pleased to be speaking to Chairman and Founder Kabir Molchandani. Kabir, good morning. Good morning and thank you very much for having me on. As we've got COP coming up at the end of this week, let's start with the green bond that you have listed on NASDAQ. Got to be honest, wouldn't be expecting to be discussing sustainable finance necessarily um, as the first thing with you, but your credentials in this are actually about as good as they can get. Yes, absolutely. And I think the, the core story here is sustainable indulgence. I think the fundamental issue is that you associate sustainability with boring. And I don't think that's the case. And I think we've proven that's not the case. So uh, to put it in perspective, I mean, you've all seen what five is. I don't need to explain that. But spending five nights uh, at, uh, at a room in the five, from a carbon perspective, equates to one night at an average five-star luxury resort in the UAE. So we're five times more sustainable than the average UAE five-star luxury resort. And I think that is the core story that you can have an amazing time and still be sustainable. Okay, so how have you done that? How do my five nights uh, come in at five times less in terms of carbon emissions than a luxury hotel? Well, uh, the the first thing we did was we looked at, well, clearly we're in Dubai. The one abundant resource we have is the sun. And we worked out in terms of solar panels, and also using the solar panels, not only on every physical space we use, we also did uh, an arrangement with Diwa where we buy only solar power from Diwa. So this is the this is the the core start of the story. But there's also massive energy reduction programs, absolutely across the project. So it's more than just please reuse your towels. Absolutely, I, I don't think please reuse your towels works. I don't think that's the solution. So I'll give, you, I'll give you another solution that I think that works. When you look at reusing your towels, you talk about saving water, which is a very important thing, especially in Dubai. Now, if you, if you think about your showers, what we do is we shove a lot of air through the showers. So you still feel like you're having a great shower, but you're not using that much water. Every person uses 200 liters of water a day. That's our footprint of water. 140 liters goes into our showers. So if you take 30% of the showers, you've saved ballpark 50 liters of water per person per day. 
What does that mean, though, for the cost of building your hotels? Well, I think uh, when you know our latest project, Five Lux, has been built to a lead platinum specification, and there are definitely material cost differences between building sustainable assets and not building sustainable assets. But when you look at that investment, and you look at the in uh, vis-a-vis what is happening to the environment, I don't think you need to look at this as a as a, as a cost that is that is arbitrary. You need to look at this as a cost that is necessary. You've also, while we're talking finance, been speaking a couple of months ago uh, about the possibility of an IPO for 2025. Where are you in that thought process? Um, we're running possibly ahead of schedule. I think 2025 is going to be very realistic for us. I think as a company, from an ESG perspective, from a financial perspective, we're ready. In fact, we are the only A-rated ISS company in the world. ISS rates over 13,000 corporates, so... Our ESG rating is even higher than Apple's or Google's or JP Morgan's, for example. Um, so we are, we're definitely ready. It's all about timing, about going to market. And that should happen hopefully in the next 12 months. Have you already, well, an IPO could happen in the next 12 months? Hopefully, yes. 25 is still a target, but who knows? We might do it soon. So have you started speaking to the regulators in Dubai? Yes, we're in touch with uh, investment bankers. We're, in, of course, in touch with uh, with the markets, the, the Dubai financial markets. Absolutely, that process is ongoing. Are you speaking to any other financial markets? Uh, no, primarily Dubai. Dubai is our focus. We're made in Dubai company. Uh, from a from a capital markets perspective, Dubai actually has been one of the best performing markets. I think in the last twelve months, the best performing market in the world. So Dubai is is really where we look at our listing. We may look at a secondary listing, and I'll, I'll take advice from, from our bankers and other advisors on that. But uh, from my perspective, it's a, it's a Dubai idea. Okay. You said at the, the start of this, when we were talking, that um, you know, the, the reputation of five is a little bit more fun maybe than, than green finance. For an IPO, how do you convince people, um, conservative investors, that you are a good, serious public offering play? Well, I think that comes from our numbers. We have uh, our EBITDA margins are well over 40%, high, some of the highest margins in the world. I think if you compare us to any listed peers, whether it be Marriott or Accor uh, or Hilton, uh, our, our margins are by far the best. I think those companies range at between 20 and 30%. We're well above 40%. Our EBITDA has now, our EBITDA has now crossed over $200 million a year. So from a financial perspective, I think... Uh, there's no convincing required. Our revenue per available room night compared to our comp set is between 50 and 100% higher. Our total revenue per available room night is two to 300% higher and across our different pro- properties. Our gross operating profit per available room night is at least 100% higher. And this is against all the major brands that you can imagine. So I don't think fun and, and, and financial sense necessarily don't work hand in hand. Our customers have a lot of fun. So does our balance sheet have a lot of fun. What will you be able to tell those prospective investors in terms of your expansion plans? Dubai, Switzerland, Spain to come, where after that? So Spain is, is in hand. Uh, so we completed the Pacha acquisition and uh, five Ibiza will be opening in 2025. So that's, that's on track. I think for us, uh, the US market is very interesting. Saudi is very interesting. So those are two markets I can just think of off the top of my head right now. 
London would be very interesting for us. Uh, we have uh, London, Miami as well, so and Las Vegas. So I think there's three or four core cities that we can look at, but who knows where interesting opportunities come from. I think we've been extremely successful everywhere we've gone. We will be thoughtful, but I think there's a very high, high probability that we will achieve global success with five. We've got one minute left with you. How would you adapt the five offering for Saudi Arabia? Well, I think uh, Saudi Arabia is, is adapting in many ways. So I think there will be a point in time where the two will work together beautifully. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Kabir Mulchandani, the chairman and founder of Five Holdings, speaking to us uh, about the sustainable finance route that they have undergone, um, but also as plans for an IPO and for expansion. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.